0: Good morning, everybody. Just take a chance and look at to the people to your right and to your left. Isn't this awesome? It is so cool to see you all in one place. Give somebody a high five. Nice. Um, my name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Have the privilege of leading us this morning in God's Word. Uh, if you've been with us for any duration of time, you know that we've been in the book of Matthew for the last two years almost, and uh, the next three weeks we're going to break out of Matthew for a little bit. So we're going to be in the book of Philippians, uh, kind of talking through a little bit like of an Adventy y type um, series for the next few weeks, just leading up to Christmas. And so today, again, we'll start this short series in Philippians. Uh, in the past years, we've always done this Advent series starting last week, the four weeks leading the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, and this year we decided to go a little bit different direction while still kind of keeping this theme of Advent. Again, Advent is historically the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. This word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming or the arrival of, and there are three meanings of that coming for us today as we observe Advent. The first is a past arrival 2,000 years ago. A baby, Jesus, our King, came as a baby, lived as a man, died for the sins of mankind. The second uh, is a present reality that Jesus wants to come into our lives now, that he is with us now, uh, that he literally dwells, dwells amongst us. And then the third is this future reality that that we're looking forward in anticipation to the future return or the arrival of Jesus when he'll come back as king and judge and not as a baby. Isn't that awesome? And so there are really these three arrivals of sorts that we both celebrate and anticipate in the Advent season. So we're going to take a different approach to this season, celebrating the past, the present, and the future realities of Jesus' coming and arrival and then the implications of that for you and I. Um, I've always loved the book of Philippians because one of one really um, sort of significant paradox that sort of takes place in the book of Philippians is that Paul wrote the book of Philippians from prison. So on one hand, we have Paul penning this letter from a prison cell, and on the other hand, Philippians is this really unique piece of literature because it highlights joy sixteen times in this in this letter. There's sixteen different references to joy in these four little chapters. So it's written in this book from a guy in in a prison cell and he's speaking much on joy. And it just doesn't make sense because it, it seems fitting in a season where we find ourselves at Christmas time, we find ourselves in this world far from joyful, and we're supposed to be, as believers, joyful. It doesn't make sense. And in so many ways, what I love about the book of Philippians is that it serves as sort of this masterclass for finding joy in the midst of persecution, finding joy in the midst of trials, finding joy in the midst of brokenness, or heaviness, or darkness in our world, and I love that about this particular book. But What's fascinating about joy in and of itself, especially through the lens of Paul, is the fact that joy is not what you probably thought it was, which is what I love about Paul's perspective. It gets to this time of year, and I can't help but look around and sort of see joy everywhere, right? How many of you guys remember toll painting? Any of your parents ever have like the word joy sitting on a mantle? Or we had it in our yard growing up. And so you look around and you see joy everywhere right now. And, and I sort of think to myself, of course, like this is joy time for our world, supposedly. Like, like we, we pull it out once a year. Uh, in, in fact, every time I hear the word joy, especially when it comes to Christmas time, I can't help but think of the song what? I got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. Down in my heart. I got that joy. Okay. I can't help but think of that song. And what's really interesting about the song, does anybody else have weird connotations when it comes to that song? Like the minute you hear it, you immediately attach it to like maybe some negative connotations, <laughs> as odd as that sounds. But it seems like that song pops into my head at the worst of times, right? You're in the midst of like a horrible circumstance in your life, some sort of hardship, something's going on, and all of a sudden in the back of your head is like, I got that joy, you're like, shut up, you know, like, I don't have that joy right now, like, I don't want that joy right now. Everything seems like it's falling apart, and it seems like it pops into your head at those weird times. And then you also think to yourself, when you sing that song, like, it's really not that easy, is it? (laughs) Like, saying the song doesn't necessarily produce the joy in me. But yet, I've often had this thought, because I realized that Christians are supposed to be joy-filled. Christians are supposed to be joyous, but we're not always looked at as very joyful or joyous, are we? And and there's a part of me that wonders where this disconnect is, because joy is kind of complicated, but yet joy is so stinking simple. And what I love about Paul's lens that he's seeing things through, the Philippians, is that we get to see joy as a gift to the believer, like a gift that God has given you. Joy is a gift from God himself to the believer. And the reason that Paul can write this letter from prison that sort of highlights joy the way that he does is because God has done something inside of Paul's heart and in Paul's life that is unexplainable by mankind. You just can't explain it. In fact, I feel like I can sort of make the argument that that joy actually serves as sort of a foretaste of heaven for you and I. That on this side of eternity, as far as you and I know, if you want to experience heaven, joy is sort of this little kind of micro deposit of what heaven actually is. It's God giving you a little appetizer for the good things that are yet to come. And in some ways, these are sort of little advents that we have, the already but not yet, where we get a foretaste of something that we will eventually have forever and for eternity, amen? And, and so we, we wait in anticipation for everything to finally be complete. In fact, when I think of joy, joy really serves as sort of a byproduct of our salvation here on this earth, is the joy that we get to partake in. Like, when you become a believer, you don't just get to experience the goodness of being a Christian once you die and once you go to heaven. It doesn't work like that. If it was actually that way, uh, if that was the way that God had actually designed it The moment you became a Christian, it would make more sense if all of a sudden you disappeared and you went to heaven. But for some reason, God wanted you to live that out here. God left you here, on this earth, in the midst of it. And as we walk out real life, as we walk out conflict and and consequences and difficulties, and as we walk out the good and the bad, we get this little foretaste. We get this little appetizer, this little teaser where God's saying to the believers, relax, there's more to life than this. There's more. There's so much more than what you're experiencing. Like he's saying, I've got so much more for you. And joy is the byproduct of that. And so we start to realize that joy is more than a feeling for us. It doesn't just happen by thinking happy thoughts. It doesn't just happen because we sing, joy, 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 down in my heart, where? Down in my heart, it doesn't just happen. You don't just think happy thoughts and then everything's all good, it doesn't work like that. You don't find joy by acting a certain way. You don't just will it to happen, it just can't happen. And there's Christians in this room that walk around feeling guilty because they don't feel joy. And you walk around wondering if you're a horrible Christian because you just can't feel that joy and you struggle because you keep wondering why you can't make it happen. And it's because you don't make it happen. You can't make it happen. And so take the pressure off of your shoulders this morning and realize it's not on you, it's in you, right? The joy of the Lord is not necessarily on you, it's in you. Joy comes from the inside of you. Joy is a result of the Holy Spirit's work in you. It's the fruit, it's the byproduct of your salvation. And so the hope we have in Jesus, we, we often try to put it on the shelf like the, this cliche little Christianese kind of word. But joy is actually this game changer. And that, that's what I love about Philippians. And over these next few weeks, I'm hoping that we can sort of partake in this joy as we learn to walk this out and as we learn who it is that actually gives us this gift. And so we're going to learn through the lens of a man in a prison cell. It's really, really good stuff, like really good stuff. And so look with me at Philippians chapter 1. It starts off with this awesome greeting. Paul's this amazing writer. He he wrote the majority of the New Testament, but you get to verse 12, and this is where the rubber meets the road. Remember, all these people from this church in Philippi, they're literally panicking to themselves, sort of, thinking like, oh, Paul, like, it, it's horrible to be you. Like, you're in prison because you're a Christian. Like, my goodness, like, I feel so bad for you, Paul. Like, I can't imagine myself in your shoes. This is horrible. And then this is Paul's Encouragement to them in verse 12. He says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to do what? Advance the gospel. What I'm experiencing has actually served to advance the gospel. What an amazing perspective that Paul has. And it sort of speaks to this idea that joy is deeper than any circumstance, like his first response back to all these people wondering what it's like to be in the clinker, right? What it's like to be in jail, and he's like, this is my answer to you. The gospel's actually moving forward. Like the good news of Jesus is still being propelled forward, and so I want to encourage each of you this morning that if you leave and you haven't heard anything else from what I've said, I want you to hear these words and I want you to be encouraged this morning because God can use your bad story to tell a good story, can't he? He he can use that horrible circumstance that you find yourself in to actually produce fruit and life to advance the kingdom of God. And you see this in Paul's life, like here he is, he's in prison, like I'd say that's kind of a bad story, anybody else agree with me on that? Like my worst nightmare, prison isn't awesome and... Not that I know from experience, but there he is in prison. And from prison, from his prison cell, he has this perspective that he says, well, watch this. Like, Jesus is moving. He's spreading the good news. Like, you thought this was dark. Like, I thought this was going to be dark. But, but there's light in here. Like, there's actually something happening. And I think of this posture that he, that he had, that, he, that Paul must have had. That as a Christian, oftentimes when bad things happen to us, we start to focus on all the bad things. And so we focus in, we get hyper fixated on all the negative stuff. Like, I say this a lot man, the church is way more known for what it's against than what it's for. We get so hyper fixated on all the negative things. And yet, they're like here in his prison cell. He has this attitude that sort of says, I want to see God move. And the joy of the Lord is literally giving him the strength. And so verse 13, he says, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Like what a crazy picture that Paul's painting here. He's saying, listen, don't panic over me. Don't be nervous. Don't be worried. Like, I want you to hear this word of encouragement, that literally me being in prison is actually a really amazing thing. Like, God's sort of taking advantage of this opportunity in ways that I could have never have possibly imagined. In fact, get this, everybody's actually noticing that I'm a believer, is what Paul's saying. Like, like everybody knows that I'm here because I'm a Christian, and the guards see it, and the inmates see it, and so... I want you to be encouraged this morning, church, when when you go home today, rest assured that your story is more influential than you even know. There's a bigger picture at work than you even see, and here's Paul writing back to this church, don't worry, because here I am, and Christ is shining through me in a way that I never could have imagined, and I couldn't have written the story myself, yet here I am. And I can't help but wonder about all of us in this room, like what stories are in the midst of being written in your lives right now? I can't help but wonder which people are watching the way that you respond to the stuff of life that you're going through right now. I can't help but wonder if this is our opportunity as the church to shine in such a way that our community takes notice of the joy that's evident in us as a result of the work of Christ. Verse 14, and most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So this is what he's saying. Like, I'm in prison. Don't be nervous because God is moving and doing a good thing. The guards are literally noticing. The inmates are noticing. But what I love about this particular verse is that he's saying, the other Christians are actually noticing too. (laughs) Like, they're seeing something in me. And it's like there's this kind of accelerated motion that's taking place. And it says, because of my imprisonment, because I'm here, because I'm a believer, and I'm in jail, most of the believers here have actually gained confidence as a result of that. And they look at my story, and, and they're beginning to speak boldly without fear. Like, it's as if he's saying, listen, church, please be encouraged, because your sacrifice may actually be somebody else's sermon. What you're giving up may actually produce something in somebody else's life, a blessing, a testimony. God may use them. So don't be scared, he's saying, to testify about what God's doing in your life. Don't be scared to shine brightly around other Christians. Don't be scared to share your story about what God is doing in your heart and in your life because your story, literally of survival for some of you, is encouragement for somebody else. And one of the things I think of when I read this passage is that I think that this is how we get to see God move in our generation. Like I literally think this is how we see the Holy Spirit move in our generation. This is what it looks like. Like this is how we get to see tangibly and practically the hand of God move by telling people and modeling for people what it is to have God move in our lives, like letting him have his way. And I love this because it actually highlights his story, not not just for the unbelieving and the prison guards and the inmates and the people who really need Jesus, but it's highlighting the impact of his story for the church. For other believers, it's actually strengthening the church. And he's saying, listen, guys, my persecution is actually extraordinarily beneficial right now. Like, there's this, like, God-ordained moment that I've been placed in where people are responding to Jesus as I sit in this prison cell. And so what, what happens is sometimes in our lives when we face any sort of opposition and when things get difficult, we kind of hide. We, we isolate ourselves. We, we do this all the time. We, we get nervous. We kind of freak out a little bit. We don't want anybody else to see what's going on. We keep it private. And so we just kind of hide out in ourselves. And when you take this posture that Paul's taking of, of surrender before God, that God is able to move in your heart and in your life in very, very real ways. Ways you could have never imagined. And so be encouraged today. Like I, I think of the timing of the season that we're in right now in 2021, not just culturally, like there's a lot going on in our world that could convince us this morning that life just sucks and that I have no reason to be filled with joy because everything sucks. For me, it's when the skies turn gray and November hits and it starts raining and I'm like, oh Lord, I gotta wait till April to see the sun again, right? It gets just dreary, But so many people right now in our cultural climate, in our own geographical climate here in North Idaho, they want to isolate and they want to hide. And yet, this is our moment. Like God has literally prepared us for this, where where we can just, we can sort of just step back and look for the things to be grateful for. Like we can just sit in the prison cell or we can actually allow Christ to speak through us, allow Jesus to move through us. We can allow people to be able to see who it is that God is. We can allow the joy of the Lord to actually shine through us. You see, Paul's joy, he isn't joy-filled or joyous because he's the happiest guy in prison. That's just not the case. He isn't joy-filled and joyous because he loves a good punishment. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I just like a good punishment. Put me away. That'll produce joy in me. But he's joy-filled, and he's attractive to the people that are around him because of what God is doing in his heart and in his life. Like, it's unheard of. It's remarkable. And so it's from this posture that he sort of can move forward and that people's lives are being impacted. So verse 19, he says... For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my what? Deliverance. I've always found that particular verse fascinating because it sort of gives us this little bit, like a little bit of an equation, right? Essentially what he's saying is like prayer plus the Spirit of Jesus equals things change. Like something happens. And what I love about the story is that it goes both ways. One, you can be encouraged today because your prayers and the Spirit of God moving equals life change, equals people being impacted, equals a move of God. But two, what I also want to encourage you with is that we pray for you guys. Like our elders and our staff, our leadership, we literally pray for this church. And so with this idea that there's literally people that are praying for you, just like Paul, he got encouragement. He said, hey, I recognize that you're praying for me. I know that God can move. And so I'm literally going to expect some deliverance. Like you can recognize today and know that there are people who have been praying for you. I want you to know that this morning. And this morning, like I I even think as we've been sitting here for half an hour, 40 minutes, or whatever it is, that we've already experienced God move. He's moved in our time of worship, He's moved in our conversations and in our fellowship. He's moved in this place through this family. Like we've literally seen Him, we've experienced God. And so you can take that to the bank that God is actually moving, that lives are actually being changed, that deliverance is actually here. And that it's a really good season to be alive, isn't it? It's a great season to be alive. Verse 20, and I want to close with this. He begins to create this this painting, like he's painting this picture, that on one hand is kind of bleak, and then on the other hand is so real and raw that you're like, wow, Like I'm intrigued by what it is you have to say. He says in verse 20, as it is, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always. And, like, I I remember what it was like before. Like, I, I remember what it was like before in prison. And, oh, man, like, I remember what I was doing back then. Like, I remember that moment. And as I was thinking about this this week, I was thinking it's easy for us as humans to get stuck in what once worked like what God once did and how we once felt and we spent our lives chasing that same feeling and that same experience again. Or remember what it felt like before um, that hardship. Or I remember uh, what it felt like before I lost my job. Or I remember what it felt like before life got hard. Like I remember what it felt like before that person passed away. I remember what it felt like in the past. And that's great that you have all of those memories amazing. But we as believers don't camp out in those memories, do we? We don't camp out in the past. Paul goes on to say at the end, 20 and 21, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And so here, we get this glimpse into Paul's heart, right? And Paul just lays it out. He's like, I'm in prison. I could very well die here right now, and this sucks. And yet the upside to that is that I have a very real personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if I die, my story doesn't die. If I die, I've got Jesus, and that's all I need. And sometimes I wonder if we consider our faith like that. Or, or is church or our faith just something that you do on Sundays? something that you just participate in once a week. But there's this depth and this honesty to what Paul presents. He's like, you know what? This is awful. If I die, I die. But if I get to see Jesus, that's great. And then he says, but if I live, like to me, living is like Christ. And if I'm gonna live, I'm gonna actually live to serve God, is what Paul says. And so some of us were like, oh man, Nobody wants to die. And for some of us, we're like, oh man, nobody really wants to serve God. And you're looking at these two options that Paul's kind of presenting, and you're thinking, like, this seems like a horrible deal. Like, these are the options? But yet, this is where joy is found. This is the secret. Like, Paul's kind of onto something, like I, I could have had hope in the midst of all of this because I know that if I die, I have Jesus, and if I live, I have Jesus, and then it's from that posture with Jesus that joy is found. Goes on to say, I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Jesus, for that's far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. In other words, he says, you know what keeps me up at night? You know what keeps me going day in and day out? The idea that you could experience the same joy that I have. That, that you could experience the same freedom that I have. Like I'm in jail and I feel more free than I've ever felt before in my life. I'm more bound and yet more weightless than I've ever felt before because he has joy in Christ and he wants them to know the joy that he's experienced that has come through severe difficulty. And so you might ask, well, how's this sort of tied to Advent and waiting and anticipation for the return of Jesus? Well, what do you think Paul did in that cell? Did he lose all hope as a result of his circumstances? Did, did he hole up in the cell and just resign to being a, pri- a prisoner until the day that he died? A couple times in this, pas- in this passage, Paul says things like, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in me, in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, or it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And so he continues to make these references to future, the future coming of Jesus, the day of the Lord, and how everything they're going through, everything that they're experiencing right now is preparing them for the return of Jesus. It's actually purifying them. And the future hope for us is that he who started this work in us will actually, he promises, to bring it about to completion, that it will all culminate in the second advent of Jesus. Is that not amazing? So as we close, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here. I'll ask you this question. Do you look at your life now as a preparation for what's ahead? No matter what you go through, no matter how hard it is, is it worth it to know that this is all for something and that we have a promise that one day the work that he's doing will be finished as we transition into eternity with Jesus? And so how's your joy this morning? Is your joy anchored to what's to come, or is your joy anchored to the here and now? Is it anchored to your circumstances? And I think joy is intrinsically linked even to gratitude. And all throughout Paul's letter, he expresses his gratitude both to others and to the Lord, and so it makes sense to me that he finds himself rejoicing and waiting in eager expectation because no matter what comes Paul's way, he's grateful because he knows that he can be thankful for the things that are seemingly difficult. Because even if those are affording him the opportunity to progress in joy and faith, then it's all worth it. And the joy isn't just for Paul. And it's not just for the apostles, it's not just for the first century church. This joy is actually for you and I. And it's not the fruit of feeling happy thoughts. It's not the result of really great circumstances in your life. It's a joy found in Christ and in Christ alone. I really had it on my heart over the next few weeks that we end our services differently. And so we've restructured it a little bit. And the things we're gonna participate in over the next three weeks are things that only families do together. Next week is baptisms, like we get to share in the amazing work that God is doing in people in our church, drawing them to himself. The week after that, we'll take communion together, like what an awesome thing that we get to remember his body broken and his blood shed for us as a family of believers. And for today, I'm frequently asking the Lord, like, what it looks like to be a praying church. Because I just, I, like, I want to see a church that's on fire. Not just, like, standing on the street corner or with a sign in their hand telling people the way they need to live their life. But a church that is on their knees and on their faces and is seeking Jesus and praying. And what I keep getting back from the Lord as I seek him with this is he just keeps saying, Just pray you want to see a praying church it seems pretty easy like just pray you want people to pray then provide opportunities for people to pray like it sounds so simple and it's because it is and so this past week last Sunday I told you how blessed I was at the lighting ceremony as my wife and I were standing there and we're watching the fireworks and I'm just sitting there thinking about how grateful I am to live where I do to be surrounded by the people that I am to live the life that I get to live Even in the midst of some seemingly difficult circumstances, there's a lot to be grateful for. And so this morning, we figured we would end the gathering in corporate prayer. And if you're uncertain how to pray and you're uncertain of what to pray for, then I'm going to give you some guidance this morning. I'm literally going to give you a couple fill-in-the-blank things that as we close our time this morning, I'm giving the mic to you guys and saying, pray. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm thankful for, I'm grateful for, like that simple. Or how about, Jesus, I'm, I'm literally going to choose joy in you name the circumstance. Charles Spurgeon said that when joy and prayer are married, their firstborn child is gratitude. And I think given the season that we're in, we have a ton to be grateful for in a world that's telling you there's not much. And so this morning, I'll open us up in prayer and I'm gonna turn it over to you. Like, popcorn style, pray as bold or as quiet as you want to. I don't care how you pray or what you pray. If you need help, Jesus, I am grateful for X. Jesus, I will choose joy in the midst of X. Like, let's be a church of praise. That's family business, isn't it? That's an opportunity to gather around the king this morning and say, I can't figure this out, but King Jesus can. I don't know how to trust in a season like this, but he can. I don't know what joy looks like, he does. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And I'm going to kick us off. If you guys were here like six months ago, we did this one Sunday and it was one of the most impactful Sundays in my 12 years of pastoring this church. Just like hearing the church cry out in prayer. And I'm going to let it get awkward this morning if it's silent. And We're going to wait on the Lord. And once we've gone long enough and it's been awkward enough, we'll sing some songs together and we'll, we'll close out the service. But... Let me kick us off this morning, and then I'll turn it over to you. Jesus, I I thank you for your church. Thank you, Jesus, that we have so much to be grateful for. But yet I'm sorry, Lord, that so often I get lost in the minutia of life, and I can't see what it is I should be thankful for. Jesus, this morning, just simply like, I'm, I'm grateful for this church. I'm grateful for these people. I'm grateful for the work of salvation in my life and what you've allowed to transpire, Lord, that what no man could do. I thank you, Jesus, for the gift that you've given us, that even in the midst of the circumstances many of us in this room find ourselves in, we have a lot to be joy-filled about. And so I pray this morning, God, as as we sort of take some time as your body to communicate and to prayer, to pray, and to petition you this morning, God. I'm praying that you'd move in our midst because I don't want to play games, God. I just want to see your church be the church. So Jesus, have your way with us. Let your spirit move this morning. We give you the stage, Jesus, and so we love you, Lord. We exalt your holy name. We're thankful that we get to serve you now, that you're with us, but we're even more grateful for what's to come, Jesus, as you'll come to take our hand into eternity to reside with you forever.